This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Kate Andrews. Well, we've had a development in the Suella Braverman story. Katie, just bring us up to speed. There's been an exchange of letters, which normally means resignation, but that's not what has happened. No, Rishi Sunak has finally come to a decision. He was accused of differing. Um, he said he was just looking into the facts. And of course, this all dates back to the story that broke on Saturday night um, regarding um, Suella Braverman and whether she had broken the ministerial code regarding a speeding fine when, as Home Secretary, she asked uh, civil servants whether the speed awareness course she could take instead of the points and the fine. She could do one-on-one. They said they couldn't do this. It went to political aid. And therefore, did she break the code by asking civil servants to get involved in a personal matter? Um, I think it's fair to say her story initially, you didn't get the full sense of her defence. But as the days have gone on, it's become more, well, on security grounds, she is a protected person, so she checked for that reason. In the letters, Rishi Sunak has said that having taken time to consult his ethics advisor, he's been advised by Sir Laurie Magnus that there doesn't need to be any further action. He also says that he has concluded that she did not break the ministerial code. There's a slight telling off in the sense of, of course, it'd be best if, you, you know, a, you hadn't speeded, um, but two, that you know, this hadn't happened in the way it had, but you've accepted this and you've apologised. So I think that the upshot is effectively um, Suella Braverman is safe in her position. She's not facing an investigation. And I think the question is, how will this be received? Well, of course, opposition parties are already saying... Um, Sunak weak, can't take on the right of the party. But I think that broadly within the Tory party, this will be a decision which Rishi Sunak has support for, in the sense that yesterday you did have MPs of the right of the party when there was an urgent question speaking up in defence, saying this is a stitch-up, establishment blob. But you also had, I think, MPs who are not natural Seattle Braverman fans, some publicly, but some I've spoken to privately, um, saying that they, they might not personally have chosen to make Suella Braverman Home Secretary, but they do not think this is a sackable offence. And they thought it was, it was very technical. And therefore, I think at a time, and a story I'm sure we'll get onto, where Rishi Sunak is finding himself accused of someone who's not standing up to civil servants or protecting uh, Tories enough, um, I think this is a move that will help him with that rather than make it worse. Kate, in terms of the way in which this story has has sort of spun over the past few days... Does it suggest that the Tory party, and I'm asking a very leading question here, does it suggest that the Tory party remains addicted to psychodrama? <laughs> I don't know, Isabel. What do you <laughs> think? Um, look, I think when the news agenda is rather slow and a lot of that news agenda is responding to things that are surfacing um, that, you know, you can't control, say the latest inflation figures this morning, um, I, I think it's quite natural that people start to try to find stories elsewhere. Um, there definitely feels like an addiction to psychodrama. Some of it, I think, actually on the part of the public might be slightly justified. I mean, um, I don't know about you guys, I've completely buried the COVID years in my head. I don't like to think back on them, but um, they were a psychodrama for a good reason. I mean, you know, crazy things happen to our civil liberties, and I think there's this pent-up sense of, you must obey the rules if I have to as well. I'm not surprised that that lingers. 
That being said, when you look at this Braverman story, I mean, I just felt like it was Seatbelt Gate 2.0, and listeners to this podcast uh, got to hear a nice debate about that back in January. I just found it really quite ridiculous. Now, of course, if you are someone like Swella Braverman who's making her whole shtick, you know, very hard line, follow the rules, one mistake, you're out, tens of thousands, you know, get numbers down. I think you have to be extra careful. And if anything, this is slightly personally embarrassing for her, but it's obviously the right call um, to say that somebody who has security when she goes everywhere, including in her personal life, might ask the question, you know, can I have a, can I be secure in this situation in this class? That doesn't at all seem like, like breaking the ministerial code. And of course, if you were to say that it were, or even if you were to say that this merited a serious investigation, what can of worms is that open? I mean, you could just basically start saying that any request from any minister might in some circumstances break the ministerial code. And I suspect Rishi Sunak having dealt with Dominic Rabb, um, uh, so recently probably doesn't want to go down that road. Katie, Kate just mentioned the COVID rules and we are back remembering uh, those times again today because uh, another allegation that Boris Johnson broke COVID laws has been passed to the police. Now, Boris allies have hit back against this and have, have threatened to obstruct Rishi Sunak's government almost as though they are just stop oil protesters. But realistically, I mean, short of throwing orange paint around the chamber, what are they actually going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So I I think just looking at the story briefly, because I think that first off, is Rishi Sunak to blame for Boris Johnson uh, having these details passed to the police and potentially facing a pending investigation, which we don't yet know? I mean, what has happened here is um, the former prime minister has been referred to police by the cabinet office over new claims he broke lockdown rules after his ministerial diary revealed visits by friends to checkers in Buckinghamshire during the pandemic. Now, the reason the cabinet office had this is really a technicality in the sense that when it comes to the upcoming COVID inquiry, you have a situation by which the legal costs are being paid for by the government for Boris Johnson, and therefore the Cabinet Office sawed the details. Now, the government say no minister has been involved in the sign-off. This is a Cabinet Office decision. Clearly, allies of Boris Johnson uh, do not buy that theory, and they think it is politically motivated. Um, So you have a situation uh, where, you know, one ally of Boris Johnson has said, Boris has been supporting the government, but this act is a final straw, and his supporters are calling on him to change his approach. The patience of Brexiteers is being severely tested, and this is just one of a series of similar events. There are a growing number of MPs who want the party leadership to act in order to stop these witch hunts, and a group of MPs will meet today to consider options. I think this is why the Suada Brahman decision is significant because you can see this narrative building had Rishi Sunak said today she was going to face an investigation of you're not standing up for anyone on the right um, but to your point I mean there's you know there's some reporting today uh, you know saying oh um, certain anonymous MPs are saying letters could go in we could back a no confidence vote territory I was walking around Port Cullis house before this podcast with um some of this on my phone and that and I showed it to one Tory MP and they just laughed I said yeah in the tea room they're throwing things the war is out <laughs> um uh, ultimately suggesting this does not reflect where mainstream Tory party opinion is and I think that even if you buy the idea that perhaps they could get to 54 letters which right now I don't currently see but you know lots of things happen in politics would they then get to the numbers 
to win a no confidence vote. Of course, there is a party management problem for Rishi Sunak, which is if there is a group of irate, angry Tory MPs um, who are Boris Johnson loyalists, or perhaps some members of the European Research Group who, with things like rule and um, retained EU law and others, do not feel as though they're being sufficiently listened to, that creates a problem. And something you've written about, Isabel, I think it also, um, when you have a number 10 that doesn't want to really create news, it it can be used to fill a vacuum because we like writing about Tory civil war on good grounds because of the past year it often does lead to something. <laughs> so, so it creates an issue in that sense. But I think we're some way off this being something which is, you know, uh, a real threat to Rishi Sunak's premiership. I think the problem more is you you have a situation where Rishi Sunak wants to calm things down and show you know quiet governance and delivery and having the theatre of Boris Johnson, whether it's the Privileges Committee or now this, and a group of probably right now I think quite quite a small number but quite a noisy group of anonymous MPs just allows I think all that to creep back into the open and um, even if it is on no nowhere the same scale as last year. We often get people saying why are you talking about this it's all just you know personality politics it doesn't matter but I think one of the ways to understand why government gets things wrong is that it's often down to people hating each other um, and that was certainly the case in the Brown and Blair years and I think you know the distraction of psychodrama can't be underestimated but moving on to things that really will impact people in their daily lives in a way that Suella Braverman's speeding fine might not we've had inflation figures. We have had a big update this morning. Now, these are only the monthly figures on the year up to April. Usually monthly figures aren't that big of a deal, but this was an important one um, because the Bank of England uh, said in its last report, has actually been saying for a while, the broad consensus has been that once we get to spring, once we get to April, that's when the inflation rate's going to start to fall. Um, And there was a lot riding on this data because we were told at the start of the year that the inflation rate was going to come down spectacularly uh, by central bankers and by politicians and it stayed in the double digits. The really good news this morning is that the headline inflation rate has fallen from 10.1% on the year in March down to 8.7% on the year in April. So prices are still going up, albeit at a, at a slower pace. Um, and this would suggest that the bank's broad narrative was right, that this is when we would start to see inflation figures go down. But, and there are quite a few caveats here, I mean, I really don't think this is a great news story this morning. They were always expected to go down in April because that's when the hefty hike in the energy price cap last April was going to fall out of the figures. So we knew that energy costs would be coming down significantly in this set of data, and they did. But that's about it. Everything else remained sky high and is offsetting a further fall in that inflation rate. I mean, if you look at food, it came down by 0.1%. It's still up 19% on the year to April. People are going to be feeling that. I think the even more frightening thing for the Bank of England and for all of us is that core inflation, which takes out volatile things like energy, like food, um, hit its highest level since 1992. It's up to 6.8%. That is quite a significant jump from 6.1% on the year the previous month. This means that inflation is becoming much more embedded into the system than anybody suspected. And whilst that headline inflation rate coming down is very good, if core inflation is sticking at above 6% and in fact rose for the month of April, this idea that we're getting back to the bank's inflation target of 2% anytime soon is completely for the birds. And and to be fair, everyone is revising that upwards. They're actually saying, you know, oh, we, we might only be at, at 5% on the year in December. Um, those numbers are starting to creep up. 
Rishi Sunak has, of course, promised to have inflation by the end of the year, a promise he was never in a position to make because it's one of the few things that government really doesn't control. He made it anyway. And, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to make some vast prediction here. Nobody really knows. But I think that is looking trickier and trickier. And as you say, Isabel, the, the, the horrible like real life implication of this for people is that they're just going to keep feeling poorer. Um, inflation is eating into people's real wages in a very horrible way. Um, you know, nobody feels better off at the moment. And I think the figures, whilst that headline figure is going to get a lot of news today, when you break it down, I think, I, I, I think we're in quite a bit of trouble. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for listening and thank you to Natasha for producing this podcast.